I, uh, I want to say welcome today to some new friends that I have, I have a chance to serve on the board of several organizations and churches and great churches in America. And one of those is a church called Calvary Church in Irving, Texas, pastored by Ben and Kim Daly. And one of our fellow board members there, I didn't realize we'd met 20 years ago, uh, but Ashley and Carla uh, Terdez serve on that board as well. Their ministry travels all over America and all over the world. They're actually from the UK, but they are stationed in Colorado Springs, uh, work a lot with Andrew Womack's ministry there, as well as doing ministry in various places and churches. And I'm honored that they're here in the city today, and they're here in the Gate Church. Come on, let's welcome Andrew and Carla. Would you help me welcome them today? It's great to have them. Praise the Lord. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're beginning a brand new series of messages today called Uncommon. Uncommon. Uh, we've experienced some incredible things the first few months of this year. And it's obvious that we're in a new season as a community of faith. This week, I was, for a couple of days, I was in Orlando with uh, William McDowell. And I was teaching at his worship intensive with 300 of the of worship leaders from major churches across America. And what I was made aware of in particular in that room was the fact that there's an increased awareness and there's even great evidence that the presence of God is magnifying in the midst of people who will make room for him. That's the key. For those of you that might be new to the Gate Church, let me just share with you one of the real values that we have. And that is that we value having an environment where the hearts of individuals are ignited by having an encounter with the living God. I realize that some people don't know why we call it the Gate. We th maybe they thought we just tried to find a really sexy term but it came out of a it came out of a, a prayer time in Genesis 28 when Jacob laid his head on a pillow and dreamed all night about an inheritance that God had something for him he just didn't realize he was laying on it how I many of you know that a lot of times you have things you just don't know you have? But he became aware of what he possessed when he got into the presence of God. He saw a ladder reaching from earth to heaven, angels ascending, descending. In other words, heaven and earth were interacting with each other. I don't want to go to a church where heaven's way off yonder somewhere. I don't want to go to a church where heaven is a place I go to in the future and never experience in the present. What makes it heaven? What makes it heaven is him. And how many of you know I can be with him now? I don't have to wait till I... Streets of gold don't make it heaven. What makes it heaven is his presence. We can experience that now. So one of the things that we value is making sure we have a place where heaven and earth 
intersect. We have encounters. You know what? It doesn't bother me if people leave the gate church and can't remember my name. But if they come here for two or three weeks and have not encountered God, I feel like we've missed it. If they walk into this room and don't sense God in the place, then I feel like we didn't do something right. And one of the things that we prioritize is that we prioritize what Jesus prioritized. And that is that we make disciples. Our desire is not to make attenders. That's really weak right there. I'm going to try that one more time. We're not trying to just figure out how many attenders we can get at the gate. Jesus said, here's the mission. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to teach them. I want you to baptize them. And by the way, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. If you haven't been baptized, if you really want to be a Christ follower, that's the next step for you, to be baptized in water. It's a public acknowledgement of the fact that Jesus reigns on the throne of your life. He said, but here's the mission. I want you to go make disciples. He didn't say, I want you to go see how big a crowd you can gather. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to make people who know how to live like I lived, look like I look, act like I act, think like I think. And when you do, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. So how many of you know that means I'm going to be with you at home? I'm going to be with you at the office. I'm going to be with you to the end of the earth. Hallelujah. So that means I don't have to be in a church building to sense his presence. I can be in my office on Thursday afternoon and realize God's with me. He's the God who never leaves me. How many of you are glad for that in the room? Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse number 23. I'm reading from the NIV. It's on the screen behind me as well. It said it was, somebody say, by faith. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. And they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. The king's command was that every baby under two be put to death. Every male child be put to death. It was by faith. Somebody say by faith. That Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people. Instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I want to talk today for a few minutes on this subject. I'm not confused about me. You may confuse me, but I'm not confused about me. Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll teach us, instruct us, speak to us. Over the next several minutes, you're the preacher and teacher. I invite you to teach us what this book means. To that end, I make myself available that we could reveal the heart of the Father and we could come to walk as sons and daughters of God. In Jesus' name, everybody shout amen. amen. High five three people and just tell them I'm not confused about who I am. Come on, just tell them. Praise the Lord. 
I'm going to ask you to give me just a few minutes to let me establish some foundational truth, and then we're going to dig into some things that I think are very, very necessary. I had the privilege of pastoring a man several years ago, and he's still in contact with me through social media. When I go to Florida, I get a chance to see him, usually every year when I'm there. His name's Juan. Juan was an incredible guy. His parents had fled Cuba during the revolution. Juan came to America, was raised as, a, as an incredible young man. His dad had been a businessman in Cuba, and so when he came to America, he had to come and just find whatever job he could. And his father became successful again. Juan went on to the University of Florida. From the University of Florida, he went on to pharmaceutical school, and he became a pharmacist and ended up owning a chain of pharmacies in our state. And one day, one had I had the privilege of marrying him. I dedicated his babies. And one day, I got a call, and it said, Pastor, will you come to the sheriff's office? Juan has just been arrested. So I went to the sheriff's department, and I knew that Juan had been struggling. But I walked in, and he was in a holding cell waiting to be transported to the county jail. And I'll never forget the day I walked into the cell. And as I walked into the cell that day, they shut the, the doors behind me. I was known in the city, so they left me in there with him. And he looked at me, and he began to weep. And I said, Juan, and he fell across my shoulders and just began to cry. When he finally got himself together, here's what he said to me. He said, Pastor, I'm probably the most afraid I've ever been. And at the same time, I'm freer than I've ever been. I said, I don't understand what you're saying. This is what he said to me. He said, I'm afraid because I don't know what the outcome of these events are going to mean for my life, for my family. But he said, I'm freer than I've ever been because from today on, I don't have to keep hiding. I don't have to keep acting. I don't have to keep performing. And I don't have to keep walking, looking over my shoulder, wondering who will find me out. Because for multiple years, Juan had been dealing drugs out the back door of his pharmacy. Member of the country club, well-respected in the city, but also well-respected by the street gangs who would come in the middle of the night down the alleyway to traffic the drugs that he was giving them. Here's my point. I think there's a lot of people that don't live free because they live in secret. And they don't live free because they live with an identity that's not truly who they are. John 10, 10, Jesus makes this statement. The New Living Translation says it this way. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. 
How many of you know his purpose for coming was so that your life could be rich and satisfying? Not one of constantly having to hide. One of the primary ways that the thief steals, kills, and destroys is he comes to steal and destroy identity. He wants to give us mistaken identities. In fact, let me make this plain. All sin comes out of a mistaken identity. If you really knew who you were, you wouldn't be acting the fool. You only behave that way because that's what you think you are. God comes to renew and to transform our minds and to renew us so that we begin to understand fully who we are. How many of you know it's common in the world for people to be imposters? Let me try that again. It's common in the world for people to be imposters. It's common for people to have a public persona and a private reality. But the problem is that's not just true for the world. That's true in the church. Don't look down your row because there's somebody sitting on it that's probably like that. And we tend to believe that's only them people and never really allow it to talk to us people. But I'm, I'm persuaded today, ladies and gentlemen, that the enemy comes basically to do two things in the life of every believer. The first one is he comes to distort your God concepts. He wants to distort your God concepts. He wants to give you an image of God that's not true. He wants you to believe something about God that's not accurate. Because if he can make you believe that God will walk away from you in your trouble, how many of you know you won't even call on him when you need him? So he creates this God concept of a God who's angry, a God who's disappointed, a God who's always looking to try to judge and annihilate people rather than recognizing that Jesus took all the punishment, all the sin penalty, everything that was ever necessary. It was poured out on him. So God isn't mad at anybody. We have this religious mindset that God's mad at certain people in our culture. God's mad at people with alternative lifestyles. God's mad at people that are from false religions. God's mad at people that don't believe like I do. But ladies and gentlemen, if you believe your Bible, I want to say to you, God's not mad at anybody. It would help everybody in the room to recognize you serve a happy God. That's a really good place right there to shout and clap and stomp feet. I said, you serve a happy God. You say, does he approve of everything? I didn't say that. I said, he's not mad at anybody. In other words, he's got a front door that's open. You can come to me anytime you want to. But what the enemy tries to do is pervert our God concepts so that we believe something about God that's not true. Because if I believe something about God that's not true, I won't activate my faith to accept and live in dimensions that he's already made available. And even when I could call on him, I'll believe I'm not qualified. I'll believe God doesn't want people like me. 
So I spend every day of my life trying to earn God's favor, trying to perform into a lifestyle that'll make him want to bless me. I was talking to a guy the other day and he said, I get up every day and I beg God, I beg God, would he please bless my life? And I said, why are you a beggar? You are not a beggar. You are a chosen, qualified, accepted in the beloved son of God. You don't have to beg him. It is your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Somebody in the room ought to be grateful today that I don't have to beg him. I am his child. It comes out of a works mentality that we got from the Puritans. Oh, never mind. I'll leave that alone. I got to keep going. But the second thing he tries to distort is he tries to distort personal identity. He tries to make me pervert what I think about me. Because how many of you know if I can think more highly of myself than I ought to, he can make me so arrogant that I won't feel like I need anybody. Or if he can pervert my thinking into making me believe I'm nothing but a pile of dirt, then I'll feel so depressed I won't believe anything can ever happen in my life. Because listen to me, don't forget what I'm about to say. I will always behave in a manner consistent with how I see myself. I will always behave in a manner that is consistent with how I see myself. That's why you can find people that are full of potential. Everybody else can see it in them. They just can't see it in themselves. So they keep stumbling over their own destiny and over their own future. You will always live your life. You will behave in a way that is consistent with how you see yourself. A man asked me one time, he said, how does the devil see me? He sees you the way you see yourself. Numbers chapter 13, the Bible says that a bunch of spies that went in to view out the land, they came back and said, it's a land full of giants. And we were like grasshoppers. Watch this, in their sight, and watch this, and so we were in ours also. So in other words, they saw me as a grasshopper, so I started seeing myself as a grasshopper. And when I saw myself as a grasshopper, I forfeited the very thing that God had promised me. They were never defeated by an enemy. They were defeated by an identity. I'm going to preach that over here. Most people in the room never even get to the point of facing a giant. They face the mirror. It's not demons and devils that take people out. It's the thing they look at and think about themselves every day. And identity begins to kill us. So I'm determined that what I do in my life is going to come out of a proper identity. Because that's where a satisfying life comes from. That's what, that's what makes us uncommon. Listen, if you meet people who really know who they are, that's uncommon. That's what makes people uncommon. So I just want to announce to the world today, I believe God's raising up people right here that are listening to my voice who are not confused about who they are. You may want to make me a pimple on the devil's nose, but I recognize I have been blood bought and I'm blood washed. I am chosen and I am accepted. He has called me his own, his very special possession. Is anybody glad in the room that you are God's special possession? 
The old King James called it peculiar people. We took that to mean weird. So we just thought the weirder we were, the more it makes us like God. That's not what he's meant. How many of you know when you have something that happens, for example, certain things are peculiar to that region. Uh, like if you, if you go into certain areas, like in, it's not unusual to go into places where there are specific things that grow in specific areas. Or if you go to certain restaurants, it is something that's very specific to them. And literally, here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, you are now God's very specific possession. What you have become is because of the environment and the one who possesses you. It's what makes you what you are. Discovering our identity. Don't miss this. I asked him to put it on the screen. Discovering our identity is not a program we complete. It's a posture we cultivate. Just when you think you have won the identity battle... Something will show up in your life to find out if you really did. Hmm? The other week I was preaching at a place that was a pretty significant platform to be on because of the people that was in the room. And I thought for years I've, I've fought through, wrestled through a lot of these identity issues. Kathy's prayed with me. There's things in my own life. I'm a pretty confident guy about certain things. But I walked, I was walking to that stage and I heard my mind go, you better bring it this way today because that's what this audience is expecting. And I stopped behind the curtain and I talked to myself. I said, Tony, you are not a performer. And if they don't like what you got to bring, that is not your problem. That is their problem. You're going to have to be genuine to who you are because I cannot anoint a fake Tony. Three things I'm going to share with you real quickly. First one is this. If we're going to really not be confused about who we are, first thing this passage says is this. It was by faith. We receive identity by faith. I have to believe what my creator said about me. I have to come to a point where I say, you know what? I don't create my identity. I discover it. I am not the creator. He is. If you want to find out why something is what it is, you got to go to the person who made it. We just had a guy in here the other day was doing some stuff on our sound. And if you want to know how, this is a company called Nexo. Our speakers are Nexos. Our line are Nexos. So we had some things. We had some of the best sound people in, in Oklahoma City come in to do some repairs. And the guy walked in here and he said, I can fix it part way, but I need to get the Nexo rep to come in here and look at it because they're the ones who built it. You're not hearing me. 
It doesn't matter how talented electronically and musically they were. They want to go back to the person who made it because the person who made it knows best about how it functions. Why do you keep running down to the picnic table at Brenda's to find out what your life is supposed to be like? If you really want to know who you are, you got to go back to the one who created you and let him explain to you what his intention was for your life before you ever entered your mother's womb. And by faith, I receive who he says I am. You say, but I don't feel like it. Well, I don't sometimes feel like it either. But by faith, I believe I am who he says. Am I helping anybody in the building? Because here's what happens. If I keep trying to create my identity... I spend my life in image management. I join the country club. I own pharmacies. But I'm selling drugs out the back door. So I manage what I let people see on the front door. And hope nobody catches my back door. Oh, that's really quiet. You say, well, I don't sell drugs. No, no, no. We do things like this. We pad our resume. We go for the job interview and we say what we think the people hiring want to hear. Because we don't believe God can get us the job if we be true to ourselves to who he made us. So we pad our resume. Hope they don't find it. Hmm? On the plane the other day, I don't know if this movie's bad. It was on the plane, so they take all the bad stuff out of the plane movies. So please don't hold me. Don't, don't judge me. But J-Lo is in a movie called Second Act. And she, what, she's tired of being the assistant manager at this little, what kind of, like a five and dime store. And so she gets this opportunity to go. She has, she has a nephew, a godchild, who is, is this real computer geek who's getting ready to go to Stanford on a scholarship. And so he's, he's concerned about his godmother not having the job she wants. So he creates this identity for her. So he, get, he goes on and gets a social media page. He, make, he goes on there and talks about her scaling the, scaling the Himalayas. She's a big hiker that she's done, done, went down, canoed down the rivers of Brazil that she was uh, uh, top in her class at Harvard when she graduated. And he created all this stuff. He created, there's stuff the FBI couldn't even find. He just created all this stuff. So this guy hired him. He said, man, your credentials are amazing. You were, you were at the top of your class. You got, this invent, you got this innovative realities. And she's sitting there going to herself. She's going, I was none of those things, but I need this job. She ends up in the, in the midst of it. Watch this. She ends up in the midst of it. She doesn't get found out. Somebody begins to think there's cracks in this armor. But here's the point. At the end of the day, she's miserable with her life. Because she, it is hard, ladies and gentlemen, to be an imposter. It's hard, it's hard to keep hanging out 
with people acting I'm something I'm not. Well, we don't, we don't, oh, okay, you, you say, I don't, I don't even, I'm not even looking for a job. Okay, we don't, we don't filter resumes. We just, we just filter all the pictures we put on social media. No, no, I, I have yet to see anybody take a shot of themselves, a selfie, two minutes after they woke up. Look at me now. No, no, we don't do that. We get our hair made, we shave, or if you're a woman, you put on your lipstick, you make sure everything's smiling, you got the blush on everywhere, and we get a proper background, and then we take a picture, make sure the sun's in the right. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because we want the world to think we go around like that all the time. I know that's a lie. Come on, I lived with a wife and three daughters. I know that is not what they look like. Now they are beautiful, but they're not filtered. See, what I'm coming to tell somebody today is the enemy's not so much trying to give you no identity, he wants to give you a distorted identity because he wants you to draw your identity from all the wrong places. Let me tell you quickly, I'll tell you quickly, four places that people draw their wrong identities from. Write them down real quickly, i got to hurry. First of all, people draw their identity from their issues. You're not your issue. Or you could say your history. Do you know the problem with Moses that he struggled with? Do you know what made him so, such an internal tension in his life? He was born a Hebrew living as an Egyptian. He was born into a slave family and ate at the table of kings. Internal struggle. And he lived at a time in history when your ethnicity determined your identity and your opportunities. Much like a time in the history of our nation where where you came from and the color of your skin told you your opportunities. But I want to tell you something. That may be a part of national history, but that is not a part of the kingdom of God. Oh, I'm coming for where you are today. I'm not going to leave that alone. What I had to come to understand is I didn't get to choose my identity. We can take a survey. I wonder how many people in the room got to choose what color your eyes would be. I just wished I had blonde hair and blue eyes. Or I wished I had green eyes. No, you didn't get to choose. If you got brown eyes, that's because God wanted you to have brown eyes. I wish I'd have been born with lots of hair on top of my head. I just want to be able to do that one day. Stephen Ward was traveling with me last week and he's got hair piles up everywhere on top of his head. And I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> Somebody told me recently, said, well, you ought to just let your hair grow up, Bishop. I said, if I did, you couldn't see it. 
How many of you know I didn't get to choose whether I was born with parents who stayed married or didn't? It's not my fault that they couldn't stay in love. But God knew the environment I was going to be born in. And he predetermined my destiny before I got here. He didn't ask me whether or not I wanted to be an American or an Asian or whether I wanted to be from Central America or whether I wanted to be from Africa. I didn't get to choose where I came from. I didn't get to choose the color of my skin. I didn't get to choose whether or not I had a mom and dad who spanked me or one who gave me time out. What I got to choose is the fact that I knew he was God and that he had ordered my steps and that no matter what I'd faced, he was able to bring out of me the very thing I was created for. I am not confused because my destiny and my purpose was determined before I got here. Psalms 39 says it this way, verse 13 through 18. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Do you know what that means? That means even if I was born with some deficiency in my physical being, his works were still wonderful, and I know that fully well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all of my days ordained for me were written in your book before any one of them came to be. God had a book that he wrote my name in before I was ever born. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Hallelujah. My identity doesn't come from my history. Or my issues. My identity doesn't come from people's opinions of me. Moses was even misunderstood by the Hebrews. He rose up and killed an Egyptian who was, who was mistreating and abusing one of the Hebrew men. And when he saw two Hebrews fighting, they interpreted him to be a violent murderous man he didn't let his identity be shaped but watch this because he had not yet fully understood who he was fear gripped him when other people thought something about him I ain't got no help fear gripped him when they thought something about him other than what he really was. And that's what made him run to the wilderness for 40 years. And in the wilderness, he come to be not any longer confused about who he was. And when he no longer was confused, people's opinions didn't give him his identity. How many of you know public opinion is crazy? Come on, it's fickled. The people that celebrate you today will hate you tomorrow. I'm always, I, I've been doing this too long. People that first come to the church and the first thing they tell you when they see you is I'm just, I want you to know I am so in love with you. I love this house. I'll never go anywhere as long as I live. I just go, you're gone already. 
you gone already. You won't be here. You won't be here when the snow flies next year. Because here's what I found out. See, if you, if you only meet people and think certain things about them, when you find out something else about them, public opinion changes. And it may not even be a reality. It could only be a perception. And when my perception of them changes, then what I believe about them changes. But how many of you know, you can't live your life by the fickleness of public opinion. It will shift all the time. You got to not be confused about who you are. If you don't get confused about it, you won't live changing fads and unbelievable people who you think are your friends. There are some folks that have wanted to give up life because they didn't get invited to the party. Number three, how many of you know your identity doesn't come from your accomplishments and your successes? I can't let that be my identity. If my job's my identity, when I get a pink slip and my company shuts down, I won't know who I am. If my bank account's my identity, and then we have a financial reversal, and I, and I all of a sudden lose all my money, how many of you know I don't know who I am? If my identity's in my title, when I lost my title, I don't know who I am. If my identity is in always getting the rewards, if I end up third and don't get the trophy, then I'll go home and not know who I am. But if I recognize I was fearfully and wonderfully made, God had a plan for my life, he knows who I am, then I can maintain my identity even whether I'm successful or not successful. Now hold on to your seat. The fourth thing that comes to distort identity oftentimes is the church. Now, wait a minute, I thought you were talking about the things the enemy does. And I am. I am. I am. Everybody doing okay? Because I've been around long enough to know that the church puts wrong identity on people. We judge them according to their behavior, their failures, and not according to original intention that God had for them. Oh, you say, what, what, what are you talking about, Bishop? Well, let me, let me give you one. 52% of the world today is women. And it was the church that told women, you were basically created by God for two reasons, to pleasure your husband and to serve him. You're there to give him pleasure. You're there to bear his children, make his meals, take care of his home. That's your place. I'm just waiting for some of you to breathe. Come up for air. CNN didn't say that. The church said that. So the church, through all kinds of religious teaching, out of an Old Testament model that was a male-dominated priesthood that had not been bought through the cross nor the upper room. I'm going to try that again. That had not been brought through the cross nor the upper room. 
Because when you come through the cross and through the upper room, you'll find out that there is neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. All the distinctions begin to be lost. And we have forfeited 52% of the talent, gifts, and potential that's available in the body of Christ because the church has decided women can't do certain things. They can't preach. They can't lead. They can't own a company because we live in a male-dominated society. I am here to announce that devil has created a false identity that is not true in the kingdom of God nor in the Bible. And if you really want to mess with me today, People say, well, God said it wasn't good for a man to be alone. He did say it wasn't good for a man to be alone. He did not say it wasn't good for a man not to have a wife. Because he was talking nothing about having to have a wife. Read the New Testament. Jesus didn't have a wife. I dare any of you stand up and look at him and say, you were a failure. Paul the apostle didn't have a wife. In fact, Paul said this. He said, if you can stay single, that's even better. Oh, I ain't got no help in here today. He said, because then you could pray all day long. You ain't got no kids running around the house going to bother you. You ain't got a wife that's got honeydew list. You ain't got nothing going on. When you come home, if you want to fast today, you can fast. But if you cannot keep yourself pure and you got to run around with everything in the world in order to be single, then you might as well go on and marry because there ain't no reason to keep that fire in your belly. You've got it for some reason. But if you've been anointed by God to be single, that's not a bad deal. I am helping somebody in the room because here's what he said. I've raised up women because they have assignments. They have potential. They have giftings. They have anointings and they have a place. You say, why? Listen, you don't know the journey I've been on to get here. If my family could take this mic, they could keep you for the next hour. Telling you all the things that probably they fell out onto the power right now for some reason. My dad was an incredible man. He had to make this journey because we weren't taught this. My wife started leading worship in our church in our first church that we pastored. And my dad didn't come. My mom's here. My dad didn't come for two years to my church. Lived 20 miles away. Because he didn't believe a woman was supposed to be in leadership on the pulpit. There's things I suppressed in Kathy. Because the church taught me. She'd say, this is what I'm feeling. I said, you can't be feeling that. That's, that's not God. She would cry herself to sleep at night. She said to me, she said, I believe the Lord's told me that I'm supposed to lead worship and operate prophetically. I said, not in, not in my church, that's not going to happen. Not in my church. 
You say, how could you be so stupid? I don't know. (laughs) I had a desire to please God. And that's what the church taught me. I remember the day I had to go to her and repent. I wept. I remember the day my dad said to me when he was getting ill and no longer able to be in church as much as he wanted to be, he said, the thing I'll miss most is being where Kathy leads worship. We weren't We were programmed by certain things that created identities that are not in the Bible. Oh, can I do one more? I mean, I'm I'm hurrying. I'm almost done. We were taught in the church that if your skin was a certain color, it was because of a curse that had come on your race because of something that Ham or did in the Old Testament or Cain. And therefore, this is what the church taught. You were three-fifths of a person. You weren't a whole person. You were three-fifths of a person. And therefore, therefore, people that were white not only wouldn't worship with people of color, they would never think of going to a church that was led by somebody of color. Because the church taught us there was a dominant race. We classified people by the curls in their hair. I remember when I was a teenager, we had a, a black sister come to our church one Sunday night. She came in. It was a Pentecostal church. She, she didn't know any better. She came. She came bringing her tambourine, worshiping in this all-white church. This is no story. My mother will verify this. That night, they took our pastor to the hospital with a heart attack. He had heart trouble. Because a black sister showed up with her tambourine in this all-white church. And you want to know why he had a heart attack? It wasn't because he was a loving man. He's one of the most loving men I knew. Everybody in the city loved him. Black, white, brown, it didn't matter. Everybody loved him. But he knew he had some deacons that were so churched in religion that they were going to maybe take his job because he'd let a black woman walk down the aisle with her tambourine and dance. I want to tell you something. The gate church has been raised up for such a time as this because we're not getting our identity out of our history and out of crazy church doctrine that didn't come out of the Bible. It came out of somebody's back room. We are the people of God. Oh, I wish somebody would shout with me. We are uncommon. Come on, Ashley. That's why in order, in order to really understand identity, you got to go back to original intention. 
when Jeremiah said, I can't do your call. I can't do what you're calling me to do. I can't be who you want me to be. I, I know there are people in this room today, you've lived your life believing you are never enough. Just you. Not you plus glowing in the dark. Not you plus some deep revelation. You've never believed you were enough. So he said to Jeremiah, you don't think you can be a prophet? Well, let me do something, Jeremiah. Let me take you back to before you began. Let me let you know what was in my mind. Before I formed you, I knew you. And while you were still in your mother's womb, I ordained you to be a prophet. I don't care that you fell in the mud three times. I don't care that you've messed up and taken two off ramps you shouldn't have been on. I can't help it that you took the long way around the city to get here. I have not changed my mind about who you are and why you are and what I ordained you for. That's why you got to go back before the divorce. You got to go back before you failed. You got to go back before you were bankrupt. You got to go back before you were successful. You got to go back before you were betrayed and find out what was in the mind of God about my life before I ever got here. I came to tell somebody today, this is what was in his mind. You were chosen. You were anointed. You were called. You were ordained. You are accepted. You are righteous. You are holy. You are going to live above and not beneath. You are going to lend and not borrow. You are going to be the head and not the tail. You were intended to be a person that was so distinct the whole world would want what you have. Just start playing. I've got two more points. I ain't got time. So I'm just going to give them to you and you write them down. See, the second thing this passage said is this. He said, not only did he have to, by faith, receive his identity. Here's what it says. It says, by faith, please listen to this. By faith, he refused to be called. the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let me ask you a question. What do you refuse to answer to? It's not what they call you. It's what you answer to. I had the privilege last night to, to go to a gala for Rise Above It Ministries. Bobby and Ronette are here today. Bobby and Ronette Wallace, they lead our freedom track on Wednesday nights. Have ministry all over the city in various churches that help people that have been in places in life of substance abuse, controlling issues. Bobby made an incredible statement. Spent many years as a functional alcoholic or man that had a substance abuse problem with alcohol go on binges but still had a business that was very successful he made this statement 
He said, I choose not to identify myself as an addict because that's an identity. And that's not my identity. I choose to say I had substance abuse problems that were a life pattern for me. Because when I found out what my identity was, I could get free from my issues. Some of you are still answering to things that you were 20 years ago. They still call you them. See, if I went back to the church thing, which I'm not going to, but we even told people that if you were divorced, you could pay tithes in our church, you could usher, but you could never be a leader. Because the church philosophy was the bird with a broken wing can never fly as high again. And so we keep titling people by an event. Divorced. Adulterer. Bankrupt. Dropout. Some of you in this room, every time you look in a mirror, you hear voices calling you. Fat. Stupid. You say, Bishop, how, how do you know that? I'm a big guy. Do you know what it's like this week to be speaking at a conference where everybody in the room is a worship leader? Everybody in the room is a worship leader. Most of them at very well-known churches. And all of them come with their skinny jeans and their tennis shoes. And they're, come up here. Come up here. Come up here. <laughs> come help me. Come help me. Come help me. Come help me. Ashley's a son. By the way, this week, his project was released. Come on, we need to give the Lord a great big praise for that. I'm just going to tell you Tony's world. I walk up in there and they're talking about, there are churches in America that to be on the worship team, you have to be a certain size, a certain age. I wouldn't qualify for either. So I go in the room and I'm telling you something. See, you don't complete the class of understanding your identity. You just posture yourself to constantly continue to learn it. Because I want to grab my pants and pull them up tight like this and say, see there, I got, I got skinny jeans. I mean, look at this. I wore this today because it was what was clean and I could get it. And I thought, well, I, I look fairly cool. I don't know. I'm burning up. It's 75 degrees. Do I look okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're flowing. But I walk up on stages and go, I don't, I don't preach at a conference. I did it last week in California. I preached at a conference to a whole group of city pastors all over Sacramento. Incredible meeting. I mean, I'll go back. I'm, I've been invited back already. An incredible meeting. 
But in every place I go I've never been before, there's somebody who's going to walk up to me. I know it. I'm prepared for it. They're going to walk up to me and say, you have an incredible anointing. But you can't die in the next two years. I have this health plan that will help you lose weight. And I want to go, I know. I know. I'm not planning on dying. Do you have a word? Do you have a word? Because if you don't have a word, I can't join your multi-level marketing scheme. I'm not going to be your testimony to make money off of my health journey. But it is just as real. Do I know? Yes, I'm on a journey. I am on a journey. I've actually lost 28 pounds and I'm really happy about that. But here's what I know. If they have to roll me out on this platform, it doesn't change who I am. It's not what they call you. It's what you answer to. And I refuse to answer to crazy stuff. Do you realize to refuse to be called Pharaoh's, the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Do you realize that it was not a business decision? That was not good for his resume. It was not best for his comfort or his notoriety. But I want to ask how many businessmen and businesswomen in this room, you are willing to put your identity on a shelf to get another contract. You pretend and hide your identity just to get the promotion. And Moses said, I got enough confidence in the God who made me that I don't have to live with a false identity. So I refuse to answer. You say, Bishop, are you want me just to be one of them crazy, wild Christians? No, I'm not asking you to be, to be unwise. I'm not even asking you to be offensive in how you live your faith. But I'm asking you to not be a coward about who you really are and stand up for who you know God has made you to be. And if they don't want you to have the business because you're a Christian, then you need to believe that God will give you five people in place of the one that rejected you because you're a Christ follower. Because by faith... I refuse to be called. Stand with me. And the result was he persevered. He remained faithful to who God made him. Listen, here's what it said it said he kept going. (laughs) Do you know what that means? He kept going when they falsely accused him. He kept going when he no longer had a palace. He kept going when he had a Red Sea he didn't know how to get across of. He kept going 
when two million people that he helped delivered complained about him every day. He kept going. 